Herbie, why are we here today? We usually just do the cold opens for Jeff and Rick's Patreon episodes. Yes, Franklin Richards, but today they have a special guest and they want to impress him. Please, be on your best behavior. What are you talking about? I'm always on my best behavior. Oh, what does this button do? Franklin Richards, please do not touch the microphone. It is all set up for the interview. Oh, cool. I bet they're talking to Mark Sumerak again. He is so awesome. No, they are talking to the artist of the Franklin Richards Son of a Genius book, Chris Eliopoulos. Who? Yeah, I'm done. I'm out. This is not working for me. Um, it was nice talking to you. Uh, I'm gone. Bye. Good going, Franklin Richards. <laughs> what did I do? Welcome, dear listener, to our podcast, Jeff and Rick Present, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack. Where we journey through each issue of the most underrated Marvel series of the 80s while drinking beer. Analyzing awesome and amazing adolescent adventures and absorbing alcohol. I am Jeff. And I am Rick. And welcome to our very amazing guest, Chris Eliopoulos. Thank you so very much for joining us today. You sound so professional. <laughs> it won't I last. I it. promise it won't last. I know, right? It goes, the, the DJ voice goes quick. So A little bit. Yeah. It's, it's mostly the natural voice, but yeah. <laughs> Thank you very much for joining us. Yeah. For those that don't know who you are, uh, I've got down here that you have kind of been around the entire comic book screen. Scene starting in Marvel Comics right off the bat. No, no, no. We 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 are all <laughs> men of a certain age is what we are. But you started in Marvel Comics around 1990, mm-hmm. and primarily as a letter for Savage Dragon. But we are very interested in talking to you because you did do the lettering on Power Pack, final four issues of the original run, the four issues of the Power Pack miniseries, and also as we kind of started off with our cold open, you are the artist for one of our favorite little things, and that's Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius, which there's a power pack connection. You've got Katie Power showing up there, and Franklin mm-hmm. Richards has his own power pack connection, too. So we, we just really appreciate you being on here to talk to us. My pleasure. I'll be looking forward to boring you all night long. We're excited about that. That'll please, be really nice. Please, bore us. snoring in a few minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I doubt that. Yeah. I doubt that. Just even from what we've already talked about, I've enjoyed it, and it's been keeping me awake. So I, I make I think, no promises. I, yeah, I think you're being a fibber. <laughs> well, we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> so, just to get this out of the way of you know your background, where did you grow up at? I grew up in actually the town that I am in right now. I'm in New Jersey. In about seventh grade, I moved. We're in northern New Jersey, about 25 miles outside of Manhattan. I grew up. Basically, a shy, short kid who loved to draw all the time. So I would sit quietly drawing all the time, and that's how I got my start. What kind of media as a kid did you really consume? I mean, you're drawing all the time. What was your inspiration for that? Cartoon-wise, my father used to take me to a candy store every Sunday, and I would get a comic book. And I sort of loved them for a while, and then I... I went, my, my uncle owned a remainder book company. So like basically leftovers of print runs he would buy and then sell them to libraries and, you know, one-offs to bookstores, whatever was left over. My parents would help him on weekends and we would go to his warehouse and he had these big giant metal cages 
where they'd have like one-offs of books and damaged books and whatever it was. And I would jump into this metal bin while my parents helped work. And I would pick out all of the Peanuts pocketbooks and read those. And I fell in love with the Peanuts and the comic strip form. And I really found my world there. Like I felt like this guy knew who I was because I felt like Linus. I felt like Charlie Brown. So I just really grew up loving that. But I grew up also in a time of like, it was like the biggest blowout of media stuff. You know, I was nine years old when Star Wars came out. You know, I was there in the theaters when Raiders of the Lost Ark came out. I was all of the big time stuff, Back to the Future. Like I was there when that first came out. And so I fell in love with that stuff. And then in high school, I met a friend in band of all things. And he loved comic books and he introduced me to John Byrne and I loved his artwork and sort of started picking up all of his work and um, sort of fell back into comics. I'm trying to think of this. I mean, and then, you know, and then the normal TV stuff, you know, Knight Rider and the $6 million man and all that kind of stuff all kind of percolates in this goofy brain of mine. Like I said, I was a, like a short, shy kid. So it was basically sitting at home, watching TV shows, watching different strokes, a very special episode of different strokes <laughs> and, and drawing all the time. So, you know, it was definitely a big time for media in terms of comics and cartoons and, you know, the newspaper strips and movies and all that stuff. So really like it was a lot of input from pop culture. You kind of mentioned a little bit of your history with comic books there. As you read and fell in love with John Byrne and you got back into comics, did you really start collecting at that point? Yeah. So that was like, so I was like my junior year of high school and I just started picking up comics like crazy. I was pretty much buying everything Marvel and a bunch of DC as well. I, I tended to follow artists as opposed to writers. And like I said, I, I, I collected a whole bunch. I saved that, you know, my, my father is a pack rat. And so he can't, he could never like get rid of anything. So all of the stuff I had, he actually sat for years and years and years, boarding, bagging and boxing all of these comics. So like they just moved out to Arizona about a year ago. And when they left, he had an entire section of his basement. He sealed it off. He, you know, put, Walls up, he put insulation in, he kept it temperature controlled, and he had well over a hundred long boxes of comics when he finally moved. And I had to pull them out and put them in storage. So, yeah, I had a bunch of comics. That's impressive. I love the fact that they would take you over to the uncle's you know, place to help him do work. And it was a twofer where it's like you kept busy and entertained, yep. diving in, getting the penis comics. That's great. And then the fact, too, that he archived all of you all the stuff that you would get as well yeah. so that's yeah. that's that's really amazing because most parents are kind of along the lines of like hey you know how you left for the weekend i can't so really all both. that's gone yeah yeah no i like you know we talked with your daughter earlier rick mm-hmm. and i mentioned the fact that they were very supportive uh my parents being very supportive they were i mean and to even take it a little further, nobody can see this because of a podcast, but my all my comics are on a spinner rack behind me. But all of those Peanuts pocketbooks are literally in a cabinet right here in my studio from way back when. So, you know, I haven't gotten rid of anything. Yes, you are a collector after our own hearts, at least <laughs> mine. As you can see with my room here, I've yep. got collections of stuff. I've got books over here. 
I've got enough stuff around the house that I am already starting to feel sorry for my daughter who is going to have to deal with it someday. Oh yeah. And your That'll wife, be the fun you know, part. like my wife has to deal with this. Like we got, it got to the point where she just said, this is your space. This is all you get. <laughs> and like, it doesn't encroach anywhere else. So like I I've extended out of my studio across the way, there's like a little table or whatever. And it's got, you know, or shelving and stuff like that. And it's got like the lightsabers and, you know, some, <laughs> some books and what else do I have on there? Um, and like peanuts characters and a big R2D2 is on there. So she lets it go that far, but no further. You know, mm-hmm. it's, it's sort of at the gate. You shall not pass. <laughs> I want to come over to your house and play. It sounds like an do. amazing place. So, yeah. It's fun. Uh, I mean, it's fun because I have people who come over like, so every year up into the last couple of years uh, for the New York Comic Con, Eric Larson will come in and, and stay here and we just hang out and play in this. And usually like he'll sit at this desk and, and draw a Savage Dragon while I'm working over here drawing something else and, and then look at comics. And I have a whole other, I will say there's a whole other shelving unit down there with a bunch of books and those big oversized artist edition books and yeah, it's, it's a nerd central, my house. Which is nice. It is great when you can have that. And uh, also, uh, you can have the excuse of, well, I need it for work. This is reference material. Yeah. Yeah. So That's, that the, that's the key. Really I keep telling my wife every time I buy something new, it's it's reference material, hon. It's a write-off. Go. It's a business write-off. <laughs> Each and everything. Yeah. And I, uh, I, think that I was going to just mention really quickly, you mentioned Eric Larson and drawing Savage Dragon. That's another thing, too, is you lettered the first hundred issues of Savage Dragon. And then you also came back and did more after that. Yeah. I think I'd let her, I think the first run was 106 or 108 issues by hand. So ink and pen and on the boards and stuff like that. And then by that point, lettering had gone, has gone all digital and I just didn't have the chops anymore to letter by hand. I had gotten so fast that I could do about 30 books a month. So really like, like lettering a full book every day. It didn't last long. You started to burn out, but you got faster as you go. Like you, your hand gets muscle memory and you get better. And then I started doing everything by the computer. And, and what I would do is like, it would take me instead of all day to letter 10 pages, it would take me four hours to letter an entire book. And then by at one point I was lettering like two or three books a day. So I just, and I just didn't have the chops to letter his book by hand and he wanted it by hand. And then eventually he realized that everything was going digital and he needed to go back. And so he asked me to come back for a little while. And I, I did that. So, cause he's a friend and a pal. So you always do things for your friends. We, we, we know that I had a stupid idea for a podcast and here we are. <laughs> Prior to that, he had an idea of moving and needed somebody to uh, haul yeah. washers and dryers up and downstairs. He and, came to me for that too. Yep. Did, but it, did he give you the pizza and beer after? <laughs> oh yeah, Rick's yes, good on that. Rick's, Rick, Rick is actually a good friend. He will <laughs> actually. Uh, you move. You should get the pizza and beer. That's that's like the standing rule. You, you yep. need to give pizza and beer, and you also must have everything packed and ready to go. You've right. got them there to move. You don't have them there to pack. Right. So right. here is my stuff. Please put it in boxes and ship it for me. No. 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 Just carry it and go. Yeah. Fastest move day you've ever been part of. You, you, it was you nice. It was really that. good. Yeah, I think I got off work and came over to it. So, yeah. <laughs> awesome. Jeff, do you want to ask about the lettering? Yeah, actually, I did because we were talking about work. But uh, you are our first letterer that we've interviewed. So could you 
talk about what a letterer does and how it's changed during your career? I know you've already mentioned going digital. Yeah. So when I entered the industry, when I went to college, I had studied graphic design and advertising because my parents were like, we know you want to be a cartoonist, but there's going to be no money in it. So at least get a degree in something that could maybe work. You could make money at. But so I had this, I had taken typography classes. I learned graphic design. So when I went to Marvel for an internship, they looked at my portfolio. Instead of having comic book pages, I had page design and, and logos. And they were like, Oh, you need to be lettering. So my, my internship, which was my final semester in college, I had worked under an editor half the time. And then in the bullpen, the other half doing paste up and, and production work, but learning how to letter. And so I eventually joined the staff out of college. I didn't go to my college graduation. I actually went to Marvel to work that day. They kept training me to letter. Like I just learned. And, and in that day, in those days, it was pen and ink and you would letter on original artwork, which is traumatic, you know, especially when you're like, when you're a young kid, <laughs> yeah, that's you scary. Get, yeah. You get like original pieces of art that these amazing artists who you've probably admired your whole life are giving you. And then you're like, I hope I don't spill the ink. Like, I hope nothing tips over. I don't, I hope I don't mess anything up. I worked that way for a number of years. It was all analog. It was all on the boards. I was lettering. It got to the point. So I started on staff and the staff job was basically doing corrections on other people's lettering. So if Jim Novak needed something changed, I would fix it. Like in, in one case, the big thing was I did, um, Weapon X, Barry Windsor Smith. Mm-hmm. Jim Novak had lettered it, and Barry wanted changes made, but he couldn't send it off to Jim. So he would bring the pages to the bullpen and sit with me. Like he'd show up at like four or five o'clock at night, and he would sit down at my desk and like basically say, change that to this. And he would sit over my shoulder for like an hour or two, and I'd fix any, you know, corrections that, you know, that he wanted made. And so that was intense. But eventually what I was doing was doing freelance work at night. I'd go home at night and I was getting enough work at night that I was making more money from the hours of 12 to 3 in the morning than I was making from 9 to 5 at Marvel. And so I went freelance and I did that for a number of years. While I was still on staff, I was still lettering books, among them being Power Pack. That was one of my first gigs. And then eventually things started to go digital. Richard Starkings Comic Craft started turning in work that was digital and everybody was like, yeah, it's never going to take off. Nobody likes digital lettering. And of course it totally took off, but I, I saw it right away. I knew that was the way that was going to go. And so I started creating my own fonts. And uh, these days I have a team that letters just about every comic book for Marvel. So every, just about 98.99% of the books at Marvel are done by my company, Virtual Calligraphy. So that is your company, VC. So whenever we hear VC, so and so, yep, that's, that's you. you. Very nice. It was about uh, two thousand two, and they were trying to do an in-house lettering department. It wasn't working, and so they approached Marvel. Approached me and said, "We'd like to source out all the lettering to you. We're going to fire everybody on staff. Do whatever you want to do, but we're going to. We want you to create a company and start." doing our lettering. So I literally, within a week, I had to hire people, create a company and start a whole, the whole thing going. So two panic attacks later, we got everything running (laughs) and I've, I've had people working for me for years, but yeah, all those books for the last 20 years now, it's now to 2022 have been under my tutelage, either me doing them or people working for me. I don't letter anymore, but I have six people, six super talented, patient, wonderful people working for me. 
That's nice. Any, did you uh, bring on board any of the people that Marvel let go? Yes, immediately. I said the only way I would do it is if I offered them jobs. I would take them. I didn't want to see anybody losing a job because of me. So I offered nice. them, I think, all but one chose to come along with me. The other one said, I quit. I'm out of here. I don't want anything to do with Marvel. But I've tried to keep I, I've had one of my guys, Corey Pettit, has been with me since the beginning. Oh. So yeah, so he's we've you know had a long. Hopefully, I'm a, I'm a nice enough guy to work with that that you know people stick around and some have left for other reasons because freelance life you don't get benefits um, and some people need those so they go find other jobs. But I've got a really good crew of people right now who who really work hard you know trying to get these books out for everybody. That's great. We'll do an we'll do an interview. What's the turnover rate there? <laughs> Your company? <laughs> oh, it well, it's it's really low. As a matter of fact, I've had a couple of people leave. Like I said, for you know, I had Russ Wooten who does a lot of the Walking Dead, a lot of Robert Kirkman stuff. He decided he wanted to go freelance. He, Marvel is very it's 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 tough. It's a very disciplined, fast paced job. We are usually lettering books the day they go to press. Mm. There are rushes to get things done overnight. It's a lot. And Russ just didn't want to do that anymore, which is totally understandable. But for the most part, like Joe Caramagna has been with me for, I want to say, 12 plus years. I, I'm trying to remember the exact. I mean, it's it's a pretty long time following. Corey has been with me for 20 years. Clayton's been with me about nine years. Sabino has been with me nine years. Travis has been with me at least six years, if not longer. I might my timeline might be off. And then Ariana just joined us a couple of years ago because we just had so much work coming. But most people have stuck around. You know, it, it's a steady gig. We get a contract, so we can we have guaranteed work, and they're good. I mean, everybody loves working with them, so it's been been good so far. Knock wood. No, that's great, and that I think answers the question of where you're going. Well, hopefully, it's a good work environment. It sounds like it's a great one if people are sticking around that long, especially from the beginning and holding on. And it's not just the, you know, the fact that people, there is going to be turnover. People are going to leave. And especially when it's sometimes that freelance work, it just gets hard where you're like, Oh yeah, I can work any shift. I can do this. And it's like, well, you know, I kind of have a family and I kind of need to do this or I need to move or it's just not feeling the vibe anymore. So For them it's, 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 not- it's great. Cause it's a hybrid and they're freelance in name only because they don't have to go searching out for work. Mm-hmm. They go, Chris, I'm, I'm, I need more books and I have to make sure that, you know, we, I feed everybody enough work. So they get that, you know, and they get to work from home. They make their own hours, you know, the freelance life. So, yeah, so it's, it's not what it's been a really good situation. Marvel's been really good to us. I feel like they're a partner as, as opposed to a, a boss. I, I'm, I'm in meetings every week with them. I sit with all the senior editors every week. We discuss schedules and, and make fun of each other. And, you know, <laughs> it, it, it's weird because they're all at home too. Now they, they used to be in an office and now everybody's working from home. And so there's all these zoom meetings. And in the beginning, they were having a rough time trying to figure out how to do this from home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it's a joy. Like it's fun. It's, it's, you know, we all get to laugh with each other. And the last meeting we spent 10 minutes discussing that in New York, Grubhub was offering free lunches for people who ordered between 11 and two for the day. And that was a 10 minute discussion. A lot of Marvel work was getting done. That sounds like where you're also like, so we need to wrap this up within a half hour. Cause I need my free food. Yeah. Somebody ordered and had the food delivered in the middle of the meeting. Oh, perfect. Uh, you know, that, that was, I have to say that today I went down and actually for the first time 
our team has met in person since this all began. And we've been hiring a lot of people. So a lot of new people, a lot of people who've never seen each other. We've been working for the past couple of years and we've never actually met in person. We had to have a discussion about how do we interact with people because we've forgotten how to do it. We're used to mm-hmm. the video piece. So even just like the, do you shake hands? Do you like, you know, like yeah. that's the yeah. whole, it's a Tap whole thing. feet, bump elbows, we, we wave had, at each other. Yeah. We yeah. had the entire thing of like, how do you do that? We started off like, couple bump fist and then there was like a reaching out for a handshake to a bumped fist and hey you know then there's other people who i've known for years who i came up and there's like forget it just give me a hug because i I, i've missed that yeah i think that's the thing everybody's kind of been needing that i think everybody has been doing the isolation thing more 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 or less uh but the isolation thing and just forgetting how the social interactions work and how how it is to talk to people that don't live in the same household as you or just like you're a stranger. I don't understand yeah. anymore. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember I, it's funny. I was um, in the, when this first went down, I got interviewed by someone from the New York times about comics in this period. Cause if you remember when it first went down, mm-hmm. publishing stopped, the printers stopped, the like the comic shops closed. One of the questions is like, how are you dealing with this whole social distancing thing? And I said, dude, I grew up as a comic book fan and a guy who loves star Wars. I've always known how to social distance. Like that has never been a problem. <laughs> it's like I was born for this. I've yeah, been this is like this my, my moment. I was, I was like, I look. Nothing has changed for me. I still sit in my room alone as I always have. So definitely um, not as bad for me as for most people. I was going to go back to your lettering discussion yeah. because I was curious about how much your team and your company really work with the artists to create new types of lettering or if there's a special request of a character who speaks in a different way or they're trying to do a different emotion with what you are putting out there on the page how much of that are you still having conversations with how much has that changed going from the hand lettering you used to do to more of a digital yeah well the hand stuff you know it was sort of like they you know they put stuff in script like you know scary font or creepy or you know whatever it may be for different but you got to remember like we didn't have 50 million fonts i lettered by hand so you either got like the main font that i normally draw or so maybe something a little different but for the most part it was simple these days there are always notes from writers they can change things they ask for changes all the time the thing about digital that that is different from analog is that up until like i said the final moments they can ask for changes, writers rewrite. I've had a writer who will send over the first half of a script for like a 20 page story. So he'll send 10 pages over, maybe not fully done. We would letter it. He would receive it back, review it, write the second half, and then rewrite the first. And then you would do that. And then he would read the whole thing and go back and rewrite all the way through again. So that happens a lot. But no, well, with this person, but there are a lot of changes. Like we, we, we go through eight, nine rounds of changes, ch- you know, and I don't say corrections because they're not saying, oop, you spelled Reed Richards wrong. Like it's like, no, nah, let's totally change the dialogue on this page. So that happens a lot, but there is input. It goes through either the editor or sometimes even the writer will contact us directly and say, here's what I'm looking for. Or I'm looking, you know, can you make this more? Or the artist is looking for something different. So we try to be as inclusive as possible and and cater to whatever they ask. It's the good and the bad of comics is that everybody works in their own little world. 
And so sometimes you do have to reach out and, but when you do like great things can happen. Like when I, I lettered Hawkeye and I remember the first time David Aja had said, I want you to do this. And the editor didn't even know that he asked me and the editor was like, who's lettering it? I'm like, I am. And he's like, well, I didn't decide that. And I said, well, David, <laughs> David did. And so, but David had made it specific what he wanted. I think I gave him what he wanted because he was very happy with it. That's the great thing too about comics is it's, it's very, interactive and and the joy is you know multiple people getting together and trying to make something great i i had to reach over as you started talking about hawkeye and pull out the book because it's those fantastic. Are good books. it's great those are good books i mean i hope you got some res- residuals off of the uh tv show too because let me tell you those tv shows came right out of this so <laughs> yeah they they lifted those pretty good <laughs> I, I will say you know and that was the great thing that book that i forever that will be one of my favorite books to work on um like i said David was just wonderful to work with. Fraction is a doll. But at one point, David takes his time on books. Like he was, if you remember at the time when these books were, like everything was delayed. We were always behind, but it's worth it. I think now you look at the work, it's amazing. But we had to make up some time and he literally told the crew, okay, Chris is going to draw an issue of the book. And I was like, say what now? David says what? (laughs) And so- we did an issue of that. It's like a Christmas special and a cartoony Christmas special. So yeah. David did the bookends of the issue and I did the main story. I thought everybody would revolt and like hate me and hate everything, but people actually loved it. I don't have it. It's in the other room. I think somebody even crocheted me little characters from the book. I mean, it, it was, it was a really sweet moment. It was great that I was able to actually step up to the, I felt like Phil Collins, Stepping up to the microphone after playing drums for years, I got to play lead. I got to sing the lead. Got to shine for a while. That's great. In the My Life as a Weapon stuff, I think that kind of what you would have brought into for drawing that would tie right in because it did have a good sense of humor to it. Yeah. Yeah. Matt's Matt's got a great, he's got a great ear for dialogue and a lot of fun. So that one was a real joy to, to be a part of and to know that what was funny is when I was in college, the reason I got my internship with Marvel is because I had a class with Gene Colan, who is the famous Silver Age artist, you know, Iron Man and Daredevil. And and I was taking a class with him and I was drawing in my cartoony style. And he said, you're never going to draw, you're never going to draw a mainstream comic book in your life. And, you know, I, I got to do that. And, you know, like part of my career is also proving people wrong. So uh, it, was, mm-hmm. it was nice to sort of say I did a mainstream comic, like in continuity comic book from Marvel Comics. So that was the fun. That's amazing. The fact that you can, people are like, you can't do that. And it's like, well, I just did. Well, the Frank we stuff are. was like so- that too. I, I went in and said, I have this idea for a book. And they said, you're a letterer. What do you know? You can't draw. You can't write. And I said, just give me a shot. Let me, let me show you. And I basically wrote up a pitch. And they bought it. So, like, you know. Glad they know. did. I love those. We, yeah. we, we've been doing those for the openings for 44 episodes or something. Yeah. Uh, wow. We're so glad that the ones exist that do. And we're kind of like, oh, we're going to be tapping out of those here pretty soon. And that's just a little bit sad. Yeah. Uh, but, yeah, they're amazing. They're fun. We still have a second book. <laughs> okay. we, we, still right. are on the, we still are on the first book. So, we've got the second book to get through. Okay. Well, that's good. I thought we were talking I, about I'm it before. I'm hoping that we can, we can use it for all of the the ones we've got planned. I haven't done the counting because I'm afraid to, but I'm just going to hope. Yeah. And our math keep changing, keeps on changing too for our numbers. Cause it's like, Oh, we've got kind of a, a, we'll be doing stuff for this long. You know, there's all this other stuff too. 
Oh, let's keep on. I've got a plan. Watch it grow. Trust me, I've got a plan. You can move but... on to Pet Avengers, right? Or something like that. Oh, yeah, we, we'll figure out something. But no, I, I have to tell you, though, these are wonderful. And it it became, we'd already been doing our regular show. Where you see we that back have... cover you've got right there? Yeah. That cover is right in front of me at my desk. <laughs> I framed it with the cover with the original art. I, I don't. I can't. I don't have a camera on here to uh-huh. turn around and show you. But yeah, um, yeah it's, uh, we'll take your word on it. We'll take your word for it. And that, that, that's of course the cover of. <laughs> I'll a, send you a picture after the show. <laughs> that's a cover of a of a dinosaur in a football, in a football jersey, jersey. Yeah. and he is coming after Franklin, who's got the football, and Franklin is frightened out of his gourd. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no, the we had already started doing our regular show, and we decided for our normal show we would do whatever advertisement is in the comic book, just as a throwback to here's a dramatic reading of an advertisement to put people back in the mindset of reading that comic book back in the day. Right. And when we were doing the uh, power pack issues, we're like, we want to do something different. Well, in the back of the first run of the power pack issues for the 2007 or 2000s uh, Mark Sumerak books, yeah. it was your stories, the son mm-hmm. of a genius. And we decided just let's keep going. Let's keep doing these. Hey, and that's what they said to me. Let's just keep going. Yeah. So well, that's good. We, yeah. we have really appreciated it. And I feel a little bad that we are just taking your intellectual property and using it for our fame and fortune. Not mine. I don't own it, baby. <laughs> that's Marvel's property now. Yeah. No, that, oh, the mouse is coming after us. Yeah. That one was. Um, Really, what happened was I was up in the office. I had come up with this concept and I was in the office and uh, I was sitting in my editor's office, Mackenzie. Uh, yeah, was it Mackenzie? No, it was CB. I was in CB's office, CB Sabolsky, and he was telling me that they were coming up with a new line of just children centric books. I think they were going to call it Marvel Age. Like, so it was going to be for younger readers. And he goes, Oh, we have a couple books. And I said, oh, you should do this book idea that I'm doing. It's called Franklin Richards, Son of a Genius, blah, blah, blah. Here's the concept. And as I'm telling him, it's, you know, it's it's Franklin and he's playing with his father's stuff and he always gets in trouble and he's got Herbie. CB starts picking up the phone and he's calling someone. And I'm like, wow, this pitch sucks so bad because he's like bored with me already. <laughs> and he was calling David Gabriel, the, the, the VP of sales, saying, we've got another book for our line. Immediately, it was like, okay, we're going to do this book. You're going to do this book. And then they got cold feet. They were like, you're a letterer. Like, you, we've never seen you write anything. We've never seen you draw anything. So I showed them some artwork. I did some sample artwork. You know what you're doing. And I told them pitch story, pitch ideas. And they were like, that's great. And then they said, but we don't feel safe just leaving this to you. We're going to bring on Mark Sumerak to sort of do dialogue. So I would kind of write out the plot and Mark would write the script. And then they got even more cold feet and said, before we just put this out, let's stick it in the back of Power Pack and see what happens. And I think everybody liked it enough that I think we did four. And then I, you know, I got, I had guts. I just said, hey, why don't we just collect these all into a, a one issue? One shot. And they went, all right, we'll do you one better. Do one more story so it makes it special. And so there's like five stories in the first book. I was like, okay. And then we did that. It sold well. And they said, all right, let's keep going. And then it just kept going. So I did one like, it was almost like once every quarter, Mm -hmm. I think we did. So it just grew out of that. And we kept going and going and going and going. And I don't know how many years I did it on, but just kept going. So it was good. 
like I said, I've enjoyed them. I've enjoyed this work that you've done. And Jeff and I, Jeff has got a daughter who is five. About to be five. She's About four. To- yeah. Awesome. I was, I was throwing a dart at the board there. I, 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 do, a lot, I do a lot without the net. Such I just kind of go with it. Such a good friend, huh? <laughs> he doesn't I, need that. I have watched her grow up in front of my eyes, and I literally just, has uh, horrible, yeah. horrible friend. But, you were close enough. You know, my daughter has gone has grown up with a lot of stuff, but also another thing that you're doing a lot of things with kids. You do, or you are part of, with Brad Meltzer, the Ordinary People Change the World series, mm-hmm. and we should mention a couple things. You've got one that's coming out in September, the I Am Pi, and then you've got one, the I Am Oprah Winfrey, which is up for the 2022 Eisner nominations. So mm-hmm. let's talk a little bit about this because yeah. this is. This is also something really good. Um, How did you get involved with Brad Meltzer? So the short story is we became friends on Twitter. Awesome. The longer story is so we knew of each other in comics, right? So he's written some comics. I've worked in comics. And the industry is small enough in the in the higher ranking, like Marvel, DC, that you know, image. Everybody sort of knows e- each other or somebody that knows them. You can always get in contact with somebody through somebody else. And so I'm a big history fan and he was doing a TV show called Brad Meltzer's history decoded. And so we would watch and it was just stories about like conspiracy theories or things that were, you know, they were discussing. So we would go back and forth. He would tweet during the show and we'd tweet back and forth. I had tried to pitch a a book, which eventually became a book I did called cosmic commandos. And I was working with, Scholastic. They seemed interested. We were going back and forth, but I didn't know the book industry. And Brad is a New York Times number one bestselling author. And he was the only person I knew who worked in that industry. So I was reaching out to him for some advice on this. And we would go back and forth a little bit. And I had sent him some of my book. Like he was like, I have young kids. Send me some of your books. So I sent him like Franklin. I sent him Pet Avengers. I sent him Cowboy. I guess he liked it enough that Scholastic had reached out and was like, okay, we're ready to move on this thing. We need to talk to your agent or something like that. And I was literally typing to him an email saying, hey, man, I need help. I don't know anybody. Can you help me with anything? And I got a message from him. Like, like literally, like I was, I got a ping and it was him. And he was like, hey, I have this idea. I want to work with you and create these t-shirts. I have these historical figures. I want to create t-shirts. I'm like, oh, great. Can you help me with this other thing? He was like, yeah, great. The Scholastic thing fell through, but we had done the shirts. We'd done these shirt designs where I would draw a character and he would write, you know, I am Amelia Earhart. And then a little saying on the back. And then somebody had said to him, you know, dude, you're not a t-shirt salesman. You're a, you're an, a, a writer. You should be doing books. He had written these books. Here's for my daughter. Here's for my son, which are like one page biographies of people that he wanted his kids to admire and look up to. And so he gave me uh, the one paragraph of Amelia Earhart and said, Chris, go make this a children's book. And so I started drawing things. We'd go back and forth. And then I thought, okay, the character needs to stay as a child throughout so that the kids can relate to them and everything else should be realistic. So like, the thing that finally hit was I was drawing Amelia Earhart driving a, a full-on truck. So when you see a little kid driving a truck, it throws you for a loop. But for kids, they get it right away. They go, oh, I could do that. Like I'll, I'll eventually, not when they're five, but they can do that someday. And they all understand these days, like 
you know, you look at Twitter or you look at Facebook or Instagram, everybody's got an avatar. And so this becomes the avatar for that person. So they totally got it. He took it. Now, Brad being Brad, like he had access to anybody. He could get like normally you, you I tried for 20 years to get an agent. I couldn't get an agent. He had <laughs> like three separate agents applying to come and represent us. So I was like, oh, boy. And finally, our agent, Jody Reamer, um, had said to him, the artwork is fantastic, but the writing's got to come up to the level of the art. And he said, okay, I want you because you're the only person that is being honest. And so we put together a pitch and she shopped it around. We got multiple offers and we went with Dial, from, which is an imprint of Penguin Random House. And we started doing these books that are biographies of famous historical figures, but they're told about what makes them heroic. They're always perfect, but these people have qualities or virtues or values that make them somebody to admire. So we got a deal. We started doing books. We're, we're already up to 30 books at this point. I'm already working on the 30th book. And we've also turned this into a TV show. So if you look on PBS Kids or PBS, uh, Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum is our show that we created and executive produce. So we're involved with that one. And it looks exactly like the book. So if your kids see the show or they see the books, they look alike. And so we're sort of like making a big product of my art, I guess. That's the the long story. I'm glad that you brought up Xavier Riddle, actually. I wanted to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Since you're the co-creator, writer, producer of Xavier Riddle and the Secret Museum, mm-hmm. how well did your history in comics prepare you for working on a television series? How does that work out for you? Yeah, so, well, you know what's lucky is that I've got Brad, who's a phenomenal writer, and he's been in TV, and so he knows. So a lot of this stuff, what makes the books the books is the two of us working together. Collaboration is the big key. I don't think if I wasn't the artist or if he wasn't the writer, none of this would have worked. Um, and so we really came together and he taught me a lot of stuff. Like I do a lot of the, I design all the characters for the show. We have a team for a company called Nine Story, which does all the animation, but it's all storytelling. When push comes to shove, words and pictures coming together to tell a story. And so comic books, comic strips, all of that stuff, movies, it prepares you for this. And so we all have a hand in it. Like, you know, we get the scripts and Brad and I review them and we put in notes. And what's fun is that I always thought of myself as just some dopey letterer, but I can say to a company I want this dialogue changed or I want this character to look different. And they go, yes, sir. Um, and they change it. And a lot of it is based on storytelling. I mean, that's really what it comes down to. My agent and my publisher have all said to me at one time or another, just tell a good story. And so that's what we try to do in the books and the TV show and the comics, just tell a good story and everything else will fall in place. And that's what we've done. So, but Brad and I are comic book people. We grew up in comic books. So everything is going to have a comic book reference. Everything is going to be all about the comics. I'm kind of fascinated by what we've talked about so far in the story of your life. It seems that brick by brick, you have been building to kind of an emperor of your own empire here, as it were. And and it seems like a, almost like a shock to you that you started off just doing lettering and being part of the process and learning from people about how to construct all these things together, you had an opportunity to create your own stories and to build your own stories and with some help from somebody like Mark Sumerak mm-hmm. to build your ideas from 
son of a genius where you had to create the story, what you just said, yeah. create a good story in a short time. And now you move that to book to your own animation studio. Are there times, are there moments in your life where you're like, I'm just a shy kid who likes to draw at pizza parlors. Yeah. And now I'm doing this. It seems like it'd be a little bit of a shock to you. Oh, sometimes. it is. It's every single day. It's just absolutely insane. I, my favorite th thing to do as a kid was to sit in my room and draw pictures all day and be left alone. And that's literally what I do all day today. Like nothing has changed physically, but yet, you know, I have meetings with Marvel comics, you know, which like most people are like, what? Every single week I have to talk to Marvel or I have to deal with our, our animation company or my publisher or I see our stuff on TV, you know, or you see, you know, Brad goes on TV on Good Morning America and promotes or he goes to the White House like recently <laughs> to, to promote the books. You know, like it's so absolutely insane. It's not something you would ever expect or predict. So, yeah. So every single day I'm just kind of like. I'm just waiting for it to crash. I'm waiting for like the other shoe to drop and somebody to wake me up. I feel like I'm going to be like Neo waking up in a pool of, of like goo with things strapped to my, my head and um, it'll all be a dream. So it's, it's been an amazing experience so far and hopefully it keeps growing. I'm in a little bit of a shock myself because I, I, throughout today, I, I kept thinking to myself tonight. I've got to go home, and I've got. I'm going to do an interview with Chris Eliopoulos, and I've seen your name all over stuff for years. And I just like, well, he is the letterer. You know, he does lettering, and oh yeah, he also does Franklin Richards, and oh yeah, he's also done these other books. I did not put things together. It was last week while I was kind of preparing for this. I was reading some article somewhere, and all of a sudden they mentioned Brad Meltzer's name, and I was like. Where do I know Brad Meltzer's name from? I just read it somewhere. Went back. Oh, he's the one who works with Chris Aliopoulos. And I start going through his work. I'm like, hang on. There's something more here. And just talking to you, I realized that I was woefully unprepared for this entire discussion today <laughs> because I'm like, here's the guy who does all of the lettering for all of Marvel Comics with his company that I've just VC. I've never put it together. So We've said it, it a lot. VCs. Da, 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 yeah, VCs. Yeah. Well, I will say, like, so number one, I am not a person that likes to be front and center. Obviously, like I said, I sit in a room. The reason I call it VC is just because I didn't want to put like, you know, I don't want to be like Chris Eliopoulos and blah, blah, blah. Like, it was just like, I don't need, you know, all the attention. I've gotten enough credit. I mean, believe me, I've done enough work in comics that I don't need to add more credit. I've secretly done lettering work for, for my team. Like I helped them out on pages without credit. Really, you know, and it's funny because there's the comic book people and then there's publishing people and then there's TV people. And nobody seems to know that I run in different circles. Like people, if I go to a convention these days, they're like, where, where, where'd you go? What are you working yeah. on? And it's like, I've got a TV show. I've got a book deal. I'm publishing. I have other books that I also write and draw that are being published, children's books that are doing really, really well. But it's so funny. Like, but you don't know. Like, your world is comic books. And I totally get it. So when I talk to comic book people, we talk comics. That's fine. Like, you know, mm -hmm. I, I know that. So Marvel had a database like, online. Uh, it was a, if you go to the website, it's like a creator database of all mm -hmm. the creators that Marvel has ever had. And it lists all their credits. Like, so you can do a, a search. And at the time, I was told by the person that was running the site that there was a 5,000 credit limit on each person for the category. There were only two people who busted the 5,000 limit. And that was Stan and me. <laughs> so, I'm in, I'm rarefied air. And so for comic people, 
I'm a 30 year veteran of comic books and that's fine. And I have no problem. I don't need them to know that I do this other stuff. You don't have to feel embarrassed that you didn't know that I do this. It doesn't matter. I reach the audience where I reach. Do you enjoy all this that you do, though? That's, I guess, the big thing is, oh my are God, you happy? Yeah. yeah. Um, I will say, you know, the lettering thing was a means to an end. I The reason I took on the lettering stuff was because they told me I would be good at it, number one. Two, it made more money than sitting in production. And three, I had read an article about Charles Schultz that when he was trying to become a cartoonist, he took on lettering work to make money while he was trying to get his career going. So I thought, well, if he can do it, I can do it. And so I started lettering. In anything I do, I always try to do the best job I can. I, I don't see it as beneath me, but it wasn't what, anything that I wanted to, like, oh my God, I want to have a career in lettering. But I did it. And then I used that to work its way up to the things I wanted to do. So it's uh, it's a joy like when I was lettering, it was a joy to work, work every day. Like, you know, people, I, my wife would go to the office every day, come home miserable. I got to sit at home, you know, listen to podcasts or listen to music or watch <laughs> movies in the background while I got to work on comic books. Like it, like it's a dream. Like there, there is no complaint to be had by this person. That's amazing. Did you ever have any kind of like uh, three company experiences with dealing with the lettering artistry tv and people are like hey where'd you go and you're like well i just i just had to go over here because i had to have a meeting about kids book but oh oh, i gotta i gotta run over from that one and i gotta make it over to this place in time because no i wasn't doing a kids book because we're working on this uh tv show and now i need to go be the uh ear rotator on uh the lowdown yeah no it's it's uh (laughs) it's it really like my week now i love being at home and i usually like the peace and quiet of working from home but you know every tuesday i have that meeting with marvel and then every day i have to review some new animation from the animation company or reach out to them in email you know sometimes we I, i i do part of my gig with the tv show is I zoom in for all of the voice recording. Mm-hmm. So it's like Brad and I have, have broken down the um, our work based like just like the book. So he deals with the writer's room and he deals with the writers. Even though I do writing, this was sort of his gig in the book. So I leave it to him on the TV show. I'll give notes later on as we're doing things. But then my side is I design the characters and I work with the, the director and the animators, and I work in voice recording. And I, if there's a line there that doesn't work, I'll change it on the fly for them and have them change it. But yeah, there'll be days where I'm like, I can't make the Marvel meeting because I have a voice recording. And then, you know, and then vice versa, like I got to go deal with this, or I have a meeting in the city with, you know, with the publisher. And so it's all over the place. It's a crazy life, but you know, I wouldn't change a thing. I feel really bad of having you listen to our absolute butchering of your character's voices now that I know that this is what you do. And no. I can just see you like, nope, fired. No, no, no. <laughs> no, it's, no it is. I, look, I love the fact that to this day, like people still love this stuff enough to, to talk about it. It's amazing to me to, to just realize like I'm friends with. Mackenzie Cadenhead was my first editor on Franklin. Mm-hmm. And I think she might have been, was she the first editor on Power Pack? With Mark? Yes, she was. Yeah. And, and her husband is president of Marvel. And so we're all friends. We've gone to dinner and their children love the books. Like they love Franklin. They love the I Am series. Um, and so it's a joy that like I was able to do like the Franklin stuff and the, even the Power Pack back in the day. And it still resonates now. 
like to people, whether, you know, like stuff I did, I worked on Valiant stuff and there are people who love Valiant and they still reach out about the Valiant stuff I lettered. So, you know, look, uh, it's nice to have a nice legacy that throughout the years, people still appreciate it and, and check into it. Speaking of having people check in with your work, we are going to have my daughter, who reads your work, ask you some really tough questions now. Actually, they're not that tough. They're really good questions. But I, I always have her prepare her own questions, write them down, and ans- ask them for our guest. So, perfect. would you like to ask some questions? When did you become inspired to do Franklin Richards? Oh, um, when did I... You know, it was funny. I was just one day thinking about the Fantastic Four because they were my favorite characters. And my sons were little. My young, I have twin boys. And I was working on my computer one day. And my son, Jeremy, stepped up on a, I have a, had a Mac with a tower. And he stepped on it and touched the keyboard at the same time after shuffling along the carpet. And he built up enough static energy that he blew out my computer. He crashed my computer <laughs> and it killed it. And I thought... If he can do that to my computer, can you imagine what the kid of the greatest mind and inventor of the world could do? And so I just thought of the idea of Franklin destroying his father's stuff. Okay. That is a pretty funny story of how that happened. Yeah. Yep. Were you supported by your parents or your parents of guardian or anything? Yeah, they didn't leave me in the street. They they paid for me. Uh, no, th- yes, they were very supportive as a kid. They encouraged me to keep drawing. I used to, it was a thing. We used to go to this pizza place every Friday night when I was a kid, and I would bring my sketchbook, and I would draw all, like all through dinner every Friday night. And I got to be known as the the little artist in this pizza place. And years later, after I grew up and I had I was professional, I actually went back there, and they, they remembered me as that kid that would always draw. So they supported me. They thought I would never make any money as a cartoonist. And I happily proved them wrong. Wow. That's so cool. See, this is why you need to keep drawing whenever we go out to eat. Yep. But you guys always tell me to stop drawing. That's because we got to go home. What? because we got to go home. (laughs) Take it with you, man. you, you want me to eat, so... Yes. Yes. You do need to. Well, I did the I did the drawing with one hand, and and, and if you have pizza, you can fold it and have it, you know, in the other hand. Yes. So. Uh, unfortunately for her, it, it's it's a single minded task. It's either eating or anything else. <laughs> I will tell you, I chose drawing over eating a lot of the time. So. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> do you like how your comics turned out? It's funny, eventually. So here's the trick you'll learn as an artist. You will draw something, and as you're drawing, you go, this is great, this is great, this is great. You finish it, you look at it, and you go, God, this is awful. It takes a little time for you to step away from your own work and look at it easy, like with better eyes. And I do like the work I've done a while ago. The stuff I've done today, after I looked at it, I hate it. So, But what's good is when you look at something and you're critical of your own work, you get better. So that's the good part. If you start to say, I'm so good, I don't need to improve, then you'll never get better. So I, I still to this day don't particularly like my work, but I, I'm trying to get better. Yeah, sometimes like I have this vision in my mind and then I look at mm-hmm. it and I'm like, that looks horrific. So Yes, I have that every day. Even as an old man who's done this for years, I still look at my stuff and say, what were you thinking today? Because you can't draw. Maybe you need a career in the sanitation arts. (laughs) Okay. Did you get along with your teammates? Yeah. Everybody I've ever worked with, I've been lucky, knock wood. They've been wonderful to work with, supportive, encouraging. 
My editors have always been really, really helpful. In fact, my editor on Franklin Richards left Marvel and then asked me to draw a comic book with him. So we've been really close and he's, I literally was just texting him five minutes ago. That's the key too is, and, and I try to be supportive of them. So if you're, if they're supportive of you, be supportive of them. Neat. As dad writes a, another question for you. <laughs> Did you have a fun time? I always have a fun time. Well, here's the thing. I So when I'm writing or drawing comics, it's like my favorite thing in the world to do. I'm a big Disney fan. I love going to like Disneyland or Disney World. I will tell you, we've gone as a family. We used to go like three times a year. But if you ask me, what would I rather do? Sit here and draw some pictures or go to Disney World? I would stay home and draw pictures. So it's my favorite thing to do. We are a big so. Disney family, too. In fact... Yeah, I, I'm a little I'm jonesing, jonesing right now because every two years we've gone yeah. to Disney, some kind of Disney thing. And we went and, right before the pandemic. Yeah, we her and I went on our own little trip together, just us to Disneyland right before the pandemic. Nice. And so I, 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 it's yeah. time. It's time. We got to go again. We did, too. So the other thing is, too, is uh, my wife and I run marathons. So we actually have taken trips down to Disney World to run the marathon. We did the half marathon in Disneyland. So we really enjoy the parks, but I'd still rather be sitting here drawing. Well, Carrie, if you love drawing, just keep doing it and keep doing it. They say it takes 10,000 hours of dedicated practice to become a master of your craft. So you got a while to go, but just keep at it if you love it. If you love it, you can keep doing it and do it every day. Draw something at least once a day. Okay. All right. right. Okay. Keep it up. Enjoy class. Thank you. Bye. Bye. We do have a a couple of listener questions that we can throw at you as we can wrap this up here. We got a small but loyal following for our show, and we have some people that really enjoy Power Pack and really enjoy what we do. And Jeff is the only follower, right? He's the only listener, right? I I think he might be. (laughs) (laughs) One of our listeners, Jeremy Daw, asked that you recently posted a picture of the pack online. Can you recall yeah. if you had any pitch to use to them at some point, either as a one shot or a mini? Did you ever try to do anything with the power pack itself? You know, it's funny. A couple of, I don't know how many years ago, I, I, I was kind of tossing the idea around. I was like, they should really bring that back. Like I, I, it's a brilliant idea that should be used in the yep. TV or mm-hmm. the movie di- divisions. Like it's, it's, it is such a four quadrant movie, you know, like it, the idea of these kids getting powers from an alien, having their own ship and figuring it all out is a wonder. Like there's not much that you would need to update from Wheezy and June's original pitch. But I was thinking, oh, man, I would love to do like a power pack series. And then somebody was like, nope, we're doing a, like somebody else is doing like I, it was weird. Wasn't there like a point where like Katie got older and then she was younger again? I, 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 the I'm continuity, out on, the continuity on their ages but- is ridiculous. Uh, yeah. They have come back with a Katie in like middle school or. Uh, maybe early high school at a creative writing thing. And then she kind of told the story. And this was, I think, issue 63. 63. That was the legacy issue that they came out with a few years back. uh, Wheezy and June came back and kind of did as kind of a, oh, did a little thing. For the most part, Katie and Jack have maintained the same nebulous age of whatever they are. And then Alex going off into space and doing stuff with Future Foundation. And he is of the, yeah, he's all over the board. He's a pick an age that you'd like him to be. That's probably about right. He's, he's 15 to 38. And then Julie. Julie, Julie has kind of bounced around between she is 
a very older looking 17 year old to now she's right. going to college and now she's kind of nebulous age back with power pack. So yeah, it's, I mean, that's the thing, like a Mar- the Marvel thing, it's like ages, like Kitty Pride was like a kid mm-hmm. and now she's like an older woman, you know, Franklin was young and then old and then young yeah. again. Like it just, it, 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 I, I definitely, the Marvel universe is a little kitschy with the, with their, with their timelines. But I, I think the idea of these kids getting powers is brilliant. And so I wanted to do something with it. And like I said, I think somebody was like, well, no, like Julie is now like an older person and you can't do this. And I was sort of like, well, look, I, I, I did Franklin off in another world. I did Pet Avengers, which is sort of not anywhere related to something that's, you know, mainstream Marvel. Why couldn't you just do a separate version of Power Pack? But then did somebody recently, other than that one shot, have yeah, they been yeah. doing we, we, There was a five-issue series that came out, and that's the poster that's behind me here. Yeah, this Power and, Pack and I, outlawed. And they literally yeah. took them and basically kind of said, okay, they're not the age they were in the 80s, but they're looking pretty close to that. And, yeah. they, and they kind of fudged a bit, and they said, you know what, it, we're just going to kind of go with it a little bit. But it was a really yeah. good run. It was done by Ryan North, and... It, it, yeah, was good, yeah, great yeah, it was a good, yeah, it was a good series. It was, it was fun. It was great. Enjoyable. The, the art was fantastic. The writing was top notch. So yeah, it's, there is some good content out there. And then also, I think you're going to yeah, say, Jeff. I was going to say, Wheezy and June did uh, a one shot called Grow Up. And that was Alex's 13th birthday. And then they are working. June's been releasing drawings from time to time, showing, showing them. And it's, it's them right. in the 80s. It's yeah. basically, they're saying, that's great that all these ages are all over the place when there are property they're this age and i'm all for that because personally i think that power pack should remain the kid heroes they should have the age that they are it's a great concept why would you why would you age them out of it and make them like every other hero exactly that's kind of the thing because i think people do it because they're like i don't want to draw a kid's book or write a kid's stories i want an adult edgy themey whatever i would do it yeah but it's so much better because how it'd be a great pixar movie you know if you think about it i always think it would be a great uh, animated series because then you wouldn't have to worry about the kids aging out you know as they do in shows and it would be a great introduction add it to the marvel lineup get the younger kids involved into this juggernaut of marvel get them hooked early this is the way you do it didn't they do like what was it issue 60 something of of power pack like that was a one shot that was like that was the that was the issue 63 where it was 63 i was actually going to do that like at one point i was like I, I did the last issue. I did 62. Mm-hmm. Maybe I should just do it just to go back. Mm-hmm. And I just didn't have the time to get it with, obviously, with everything I was doing. It was sort of like not a thing. But it would have been hysterical for me to, <laughs> you know, 20 years later to, or what? how many years later was that? 30 years something. later to do? Yeah, something like that. Next issue. Something like that. I mean, you- how, how was your experience working on the, uh, the tail end four issues of Power Pack? You know, uh, so I think nobody oh. else wanted it. Um <laughs> You know, it was sort of the series was mm-hmm. dying. Mike Higgins, who was a letterer, colorist, and editor, he was writing it. I, I, he may have asked for me to do it just because, you know what it was? It was I was the young kid who was passionate about doing mm-hmm. anything. And sometimes when, you know, you have a book that's sort of dying, you want somebody with passion to be on there to, who wants to be doing it, not just like, all right, here's another payday, you know, type of thing. And so I enjoyed it. I, I Look, I love the... The, the concept when I was a kid, kid in high school, whatever, when it first came out. So I, I enjoyed working. I mean, Mike would come into the office. I was still in the office 
at the time. So, you know, I would letter it overnight, come in and bring the pages in and Mike would be there or Mike would hand off the script and Tom Morgan would come in once in a while, which was great. Tom was another great artist. I think he's in animation now, but I think we follow each other on, on Facebook, but another really great guy, really one of those guys that you work with, who is like a, a creator who appreciates everybody on the team mm-hmm. and sort of looks out for you and says, you know, Hey, comes up and says, you did a great job, which is always nice. So really towards, you know, it was sad to like, I was sad to see it go, you know, like I was just like, I was just got on it thinking we're going to have some fun now. Mm-hmm. And then it was like, Nope, canceled. I'm like the, the I should have known they hired me to do it because they were going to cancel it. So <laughs> get the passionate yeah. kid. Who's going to be heartbroken when the, this dies in four. And I was, I sort of, I, I, I look, I, Mike Higgins, I knew for a couple of years while in the office, but I really liked Tom's artwork. I thought it was like really kind of loose and, and interesting. So it just, yeah. And just the, the characters were fun. And I will say, like, I, I, and I remember, you know, it's so funny. It's like, there's a power pack team, right? Like I was at a con and Wheezy and June were together at the table. And um, I chatted with them a little bit about it at the time, but it's fun to see, like, you know, you talk to Wheezy and Walt and you're just like, it's the the power stuff. Mm -hmm. It really is. Yeah. You look at them and you go, okay, I got it now. You know, as a kid reading the book, I didn't know, but you know, when you meet, you know, them and you're like, yeah, oh, there it is. And Walt's got that beard and, you know, they really do look like him. So it's really funny. The more that it progressed on, I think they kind of just started giving up any, any subterfuge of who it was. And there are some drawings, I think, uh, that, uh, John, John Bogdan did. Yeah. Where it's just like, that is Wheezy of that age. And yeah. that is Walt. That is them. Yes. A hundred percent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And it's great. You know, and, and I've become friends with them, which is great. And so it's, it's sort of, like they're, they're like it's the power pack team. Like you always have to have a connection there somehow to anybody who worked on power pack. Yeah. Right? We sort of, we have those clicks, you know, if you've worked on certain books, like a, char- a character, like that's your team and you sort of stick together and you, it's sort of like a veterans get together at conventions. It's like, you climb the same Hills, hey! you battled the same fight. Yeah. yeah you fought yeah. the same battles. It's I yeah. tend to lean. My work tends to lean towards more all ages yep. stuff. Obviously, as you can tell. And I think that's why I was drawn to power pack was just because it was more of a, let's include everybody. I think today, especially like I, you know, I can't read any of the books. I mean, I work for them and I, and you know, I appreciate all the things, but I would love to see more books that reached across demographics a little bit more. They, they tend to be, you know, I'm tired of, of seeing a book that opens with everybody sitting around a, a, a boardroom table discussing the fight that we didn't get to mm-hmm. see because that's too childish. You know, like we can't show the, the old fun stuff. And when I was doing the books, like I was like, we can't have a panel where somebody's not doing something. Like there's no standing around chatting. And I think I would do that with the power. If, 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 if Marvel would turn to me and say, Chris, we want you to do a series, a power pack series. I would never have them not moving because I remember my kids at that age and they didn't stop mm-hmm. moving. Like you held conversations as they ran around in circles, yep. you know? And yep. so I think that was what would make power pack, you know, relatable to more ages. And I wish they would do it. I really, like. I think there's certain properties. I think Marvel is crazy not to do at this point. Like, they should have done Power Pack before they did She-Hulk. Like they should be doing some of these other great ideas that are off the beaten, not the same. They're doing the same thing in the TV shows that they did. They do in the comics is which they're reaching at one demographic and not all of them. Mm-hmm. I'd love to see them reach kids and women and, you know, and, and, you know, 
old guys like us. I would love to see your take on Power Pack now. I want to. <laughs> I want to. I would love to see you kick out a mini series of that. I would love to do a. I mean, if I had the time, I would love to do a Power Pack series. Like, I'd love to write it and draw it. I would love to just make That'd it be all so made. fun. We need. We need. It would. We I, need to direct line to Marvel and talk about that. That's what we need look, to have. I, then I could Tuesday. talk to somebody about doing it. I just don't know if I have the time. Like I said, mm-hmm. my days are like. I realized at the point when you invited me to this thing that you said it was nine o'clock and I or six o'clock, and not realizing you are on, on on West Coast time. And then I was like, oh man, it's going to be nine o'clock at night. And I went, what? What do I? I'm, I'm still working till eleven, twelve o'clock every night anyway. So. But yeah, I would love to do a Power Pack series. I th- I think that'd be a lot of fun. Let, let's move on to the other listener question. Get get you back to work. Yeah. So before it's up too yeah. late here, Jeff. Yep. Yeah, yeah. This one is from Charles Gears, who is a uh, original Power Pack fan. In fact, he has uh, a letter in one of the uh, the power lines in the back pages. So oh, yeah, cool. he had actually said, "Oh, my letter's coming up on that." So it's like, well, this is somebody who's been around from the beginning as well. Uh, but he wants to know, yeah. did you ever hear from Bill Waterson or his lawyers? <laughs> that was a nice insult. That was phrased very delicately. Well, I think that could be an um, insult, or I would say it uh, a compliment because, yeah. hey, come on. Well, he's saying though they should like lawyer up to like sue me for you know stealing his style. Um, Inspire, inspir- yes, inspired very- by, and homage to. <laughs> yeah, um, peanuts and and Calvin and Hobbes were a big influence on me, and I've tried hard to shake out that influence, and it's really really hard. But I still wear some of my influences on my sleeve. So thanks, Charles, and <laughs> I won't hold it against you. <laughs> I am sure that he uh, means it in the most heartfelt and warm spirited way possible. I doubt it highly. No, I, I'm actually, I was actually curious. So did it, has it been something that you've, have you ever had the opportunity to talk to Bill Watterson? No, 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 no. I, and I, I think it's better that way. I, I, I'm for the most part, I'm not a fan of meeting your heroes. Mm-hmm. It was, I was torn. Uh, one of my other big heroes is Bill, uh, is Berkeley Brethick yep. Uh, yep. from Bloom County. County. And I'd heard or read that he was kind of a bit of a curmudgeon. And I was at a convention, the New York convention. I was signing one of the IM books. We, I think we had just gotten onto the New York bestseller, whatever the whole thing was. And I found out he was signing his book right before mine. Like, so like he was doing a session that I was coming in. And I asked my publicist if I could meet him. And she was like, sure. And so I got to meet him. And he was a lovely person, really sweet. We talked for a bit. I told him what a big influence he was on me and how much I loved his work. And he could be nothing but genuinely wonderful. So he was great to meet. I don't know if I could ever meet Watterson without like losing my mind. And that is not a good way to be. I'm more, I would love to talk craft with him, uh-huh. but uh, I, I've never gotten to meet him. No. And, and I mean, I th- I really do think Charles does mean in the nicest way possible. Yeah. It it's a nice way to describe the it's book. Fun. It's 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 Franklin Richards and Herbie as Calvin fun stand-ins for Calvin yeah. and Hobbes. Oh, yeah. And look, I look, I I yeah. don't miss yeah. the connections. When I was doing it, I didn't think Calvin and Hobbes, but like you look at it in in retrospect and it is yeah, he's a crazy kid who's doing crazy things and he's got like so, like his babysitter. Mm-hmm. Who's much like Hobbes, who's like, you know, the, a little bit more of the voice of reason. So I totally get it. I mean, yeah. it, it, you know, I'm not saying I'm original in any sense of the, <laughs> of, of the word. But it, there is a bit of. Look, if you're going to rip somebody off, exactly. rip off yeah, the bat, yeah. right? That's why I was trying. I was trying to make the analogy between what Weird Al Yankovic does is, you know, he takes things and he does his own spin on them. 
but he does it from some of the best. You know, it, it's you're you're doing it in a good way. You're doing it with love. Just don't come up to me at a convention, Charles, with some yeah. sign. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> He'll drop a fake name. Well, our, our final question, and yeah. let's keep it with a comedy aspect here. This is from our friend Tim Price, who goes by our own nickname for him, the Podcrasher. He always drops us with our final question, and he likes to have some fun. What's mm-hmm. your favorite cheese for sandwiches, and what would Franklin Richards, son of a genius, what would his favorite cheese for a sandwich be? I think I like cheddar. Cheddar is a, a pretty good one there, a little um, sharp cheddar. I think Franklin would like American grilled cheese with the crust cut off. Yeah. Yep. I think, you know, and you have to cut it diagonal, not straight across. <laughs> like he'd be that particular. Well, it would ruin the sandwich. Yeah. Yeah. You can't, can't eat that. Can't, it's unedible. Yeah. <laughs> what, what about, and this is the real stretch, what about Herbie? He just likes to have some oil. <laughs> <laughs> Look, after a long day, he guzzles down some oil and, and crashes for the night, right? Yeah, maybe oil makes him drunk or something like that. You know, and he, uh, it's like it's a 40 weight night. Bolts. So we can respect yep. that. What what other uh, works are you working on right now? What else do you have that you are working on that you'd like to tell everybody about and try to prep people for? It'll sound like I'm stuttering, but I am I am pay. Um, and I am Dolly Parton is coming out uh, in June. And then, speaking of superheroes, this September we have expanded our line, and we're going to be doing fictional characters. And the first two of the series is I am Superman, and I am Batman, which will be coming out in the same format. And then, what are we doing after that? We're doing I am Temple Grandin, and I am John Lewis in February, and then. I have a number of uh, a couple of books that I've written and drawn uh, picture books. One is uh, the yawns are coming. The sequel was the giggles are coming. And then I really, we haven't announced it too much yet. So maybe you're getting sort of the exclusive in the summer of 2023. I have a book called a little angry that's coming out. So that'll be another book. And then obviously we have, we're coming up with our second season of Xavier Riddle and the secret museum, which is on PBS kids. So you're not, Excellent. you don't got a lot going on is what you're saying. <laughs> I'm kind of sleeping yeah. through the day. Well, I hope yeah. it picks up for you, I'm buddy. i on my laurels. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the scoop. That's where I am. And then, like I said, I've got a wonderful team working on most of the Marvel books. So, oh man, I have a, I have a, I'm writing a comic book story, but I don't know if I could talk about it yet. I'll have to tell you about it off the air. Okay. okay. But I will say I've worked on Star Wars, right? I've done some Star Wars property work. I've done covers for the Back to the Future comic, which, again, two of my big things growing mm-hmm. up. There's a third rather large franchise that I'm going to be writing a special story for. Well, if I can remember back to the beginning of this conversation, that would only be Indiana Jones would just hit that trifecta mm-hmm. for you. No, but- I, I wish I could do an Indiana. I tried. I told them I wanted to do a, a, a kid Indiana Jones series. Never happened, though. It's a new franchise that I can't tell you about yet. Not a problem. So I just want to sit around. And- I'll tell you as soon as, as soon as we stop recording. Sounds I good. I just want to guess and just go Ghostbusters. Um, <laughs> adventures in babysitting. Um. Stop, oh, stop, good, stop. Thor's there. <laughs> yeah, Thor is there. Uh, good old Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Thank you very much for your time. I, I really do appreciate this. I This was a real education for me. I, I think probably for Jeff as well, just about 
what you do and and what you have contributed to and my lack of sleep is what you're saying well yeah there's that as well yeah. but no i really do appreciate this this has been wonderful thank you very much yeah. thank you oh, thank my you pleasure. thank you thank you we Anytime. we do to you it's guys. been great We've really appreciated it. Shout out time. We like to recognize those listeners that take the time to write in or leave us a review. This is for episode 108, The Loners, number four, What You Don't Know. Charles Gears. Chris Reeves. Hoover and his show, Four Million Years Later. Jeremy Daw. Limax 7. Matthew Birdsey. Michael Neertz. Sebastian. Waffles, who said, great episode. As an aspiring actor myself, I know the only thing letting me down was my lack of powers and not my lack of ability. Same. Oh. Same. Oh, don't hold yourself back there, Waffles. It was your lack of ability. Ouch. I thought it was the fact that uh, nobody could connect to him because he's in like a, a 19 hour ahead time zone. Could be that too. Yeah. Could be that too. It could be the strange accent. That's a beautiful accent. I'm just kidding, Waffles. We love you. We all love you and your accent. And that brings us to our awesome, awesome Patreon members. These are the people that Keep giving us money to keep doing this thing that we like to do. Adorably astonishing and amazing Andrew Burns. Cheerfully cheeky and charming Char Logan. Challenging, cheesy, and chuckling Charles Gears. Destructive and devastatingly delightful Damian Witter. Dynamically dangerous and devious Doug Jones. Exciting, energetic, and entertaining Edward Verrochi. Intelligent, interesting, and innovative Isaac Perry. Jesting, joking, and jovial Jeff Pullier. Just jealous and jeweled Jeremy Daw. Muscly, mighty, and meticulous Matthew Birdsey. Mythical and magnificent monologuing Matthew Laserwitz. Rudely rhyming and running Rustin Fritcher. Steely, salty, and steamy Sailor Bear Zodar. Sad and sickeningly silly Shag Matthews. Strange and stirringly steady Stephen Gray. Tyrannically terrifying and tame Tim Price. Technically terrific and triumphant Toddy Knock. Way, way wordy and wobbly Waffles. Weird and wonderfully wacky wind. And one more big thank you to our guest, Chris Heliopoulos, for a wonderful show. Now, I want to go ahead and point out that next issue, we are going to cover Secret Santa Story, found in Marvel Holiday Special 2007, issue number one. We are Jeff and Rick Present, and we record and self-produce our podcast in Portland, Oregon. If you would like to talk with us, you can do so through Twitter at Jeff and Rick Present, our Facebook page, Jeff and Rick Present, our email address, Jeff and Rick Present, all one word at gmail.com, and on our website, Jeff and Rick Present.wordpress.com. Also, our YouTube site is at Jeff and Rick Present. We are also a proud supporter of the Hero Initiative, and we will be donating 10% of our Patreon donations to this great cause. We encourage everyone to give what they can to this worthwhile organization that helps the creators who provide us with such great content. Go to HeroInitiative.org to find out more. Please rate and review us on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you possibly can. This will help others find us. And as always, we want to thank the powerful people in our packs. My wife, Cindy, and our daughter, Carrie. My fiance, Hillary, and our daughter, Aurora. We, we love, love you. you. Until next time. Costumes off. And now I'm naked. Our theme music is 80s Action by Kevin McLeod and Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 4.0 license. That's not the voice I had in my head when I wrote those things, but okay. It was the, uh, kind of the highest pitch kid voice we could think of. Neck. We, we include her in on our program. We have her do Katie's voice. We have her do the sound effects. Probably better than you. So, like, oh. uh, were you kidding?
Definitely better than me. I only yeah, do the sound knows. effects. I only do the sound effects on the Franklin Richards thing. There you go. As a joke for hey. how bad I am. There have been requests uh, in the early days to have uh, more carry on the show and less us. <laughs> so yeah, right. Which, hey, <laughs> which hurt here a little bit. I have to admit, but uh, you know what? The kids always sell it, right? Snack. Those are like the best headphones, man. Those are pretty cool. I think that. Uh, it was. I think. Uh, yeah, Louis, Louis Simonson saw those and really liked those as well. Yeah, they rock. I don't know why you guys don't wear them, but okay. Oh well, they even light up too. So. Are they like a unicorn kitty? Is that yeah. what they are? Yeah. 